ready? So come on, baby. Welcome to Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And we are back with part two of our A24 blowout special that really got away from us. <laughs> yeah, we should have known that it would take two parts to talk about this mammoth of a topic, but you know. <laughs> I mean, considering how much we've talked about it just in our off time constantly, yeah, yeah we really should have known. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to pick up right where we left off on the last one. Um, so we have a lot of like references back to, oh, we said this earlier and we talked about this before. Uh, so if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go do that first, because otherwise this episode will not make a lot of sense. Exactly. Okay, let's get into it. Great. <laughs> so in the same year as High Life, at least for Canada... A totally different movie came out, I think. This is probably really quite up there for me in terms of A24, like, slate of films. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's Waves, uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz. Um, we've talked about this so many, I mean, this film so many times. Um, we have. And yet, it's funny because I've only seen this once. And Me too. Yeah. I think we both immediately, like, bonded on why that is mm -hmm. and the decision behind that but um yeah anyway was there anything you wanted to jump in with first because I mean this is this is a massive film as well it is I mean I guess on that like topic of only having seen it once I think that was sort of one of the early conversations that you and I had about movies was talking about waves and I don't remember how it came up but I think we both kind of had this experience the first time we saw it that was so specific and so emotional yeah. Um, that you kind of don't want to taint the memory of it by yeah. like watching it again and potentially losing that. I don't know. Do you want to talk about like your experience watching Waves for the first yeah. time? Yeah, sure. It was it was at TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival. And um, Trey Edward Schultz was there as well in person at the screening that I got to see at I think it was it played at Winter Garden. Um, mm. downtown Toronto beautiful beautiful, beautiful theater. theater yeah <laughs> one of my favorite theaters um, to see f a film in um, and also Kelvin Harrison Jr. was there as well so the two of them came out on stage right after the film ended and oh I almost I, I was just about to say that it was like amazing to be able to see those two in person after seeing such a heavy, heavy film. But I also feel like I blacked out the entire time just because I was drowning in my own just tears and snot and just it was a whole situation in my face and I was mm -hmm. barely comprehending what I was physically seeing in front of me. Um it's just, it took such an emotional toll on me as it did yeah. for many others as well who've seen this film. And it was just a beautiful experience on its own, but also it just felt like one of those where I just wanted to protect and contain that feeling and leave it as is rather than revisiting mm. it. 
Um, so yeah, I, I kind of respected that moment and decision for myself and I didn't re I haven't revisited it since as, as we mentioned earlier. Um, so mm -hmm. my memory of this film honestly has sort of faded a little bit, not to say that the movie's like bad at all. Like there's nothing to forget about. It's just, it just is such an emotional journey and experience that like, it feels like a whiplash and, I kind of want to like leave it at that and move on with my life sort of sort of feeling. So that that was my experience. But how about yours? Yeah, no, I totally understand that feeling. Um, I also kind of had a very emotional response to this movie when I first watched it. Um, and I watched it in a very different context from you. I, I also feel like I don't know that I would have even been able to take in what anybody was saying if there was some kind of like presence q a anything like i yeah. i kind of feel like i blacked out a little bit as well just like alone in the theater um but i watched waves uh in december 2019 when it was in theaters um and i remember because it was like a rough time of year um at work at mm -hmm. that point um mm -hmm. i was going through a lot and mm -hmm. I was incredibly stressed out mm -hmm. and this was like right before Christmas so I was like in Toronto wishing that I was home with my family and so I like took myself on an all-day little excursion and I watched three movies in a row um, at three different theaters in Toronto I watched uh, Invisible Life which is a really great Brazilian movie that's also kind of heavy um, and then I watched Parasite and then I watched Waves <laughs> and I was emotionally distraught by the yeah. end of that night. Yeah. Um, I have a picture of like, like I remember getting on the subway afterwards and I just like staring into space, not taking anything in, just like processing all of these emotions. And yeah, I, I feel like it speaks to the power of the storytelling and also the power of this cast. Um, yes. This is a really, really great cast. I yeah, mean, like you mentioned Kelvin Harrison Jr., who is fantastic in this. Even with that sort of, I don't want to give away too much because I don't think you want to know a lot going into this movie. Yeah. Um, but there's that kind of split in the story where the first half is very different from the second half. And even though he is mostly just in the first half, he's so, his presence is so strong. He really takes over the film in a, gr in a great way. And then, I mean, Sterling K. Brown is obviously force on screen. Um, and Renee, Le Renee Elise Goldberry is great. Um, Taylor Russell is phenomenal. She's um, in the new movie, the new Luca movie opposite Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Um, Bones and all. And I'm very excited to see her in that because she was so good in this. Um, and Alexa Demi from Euphoria, I hadn't like this was before I'd seen anything of Euphoria and she like completely impressed me. She's so emotionally on her game in this one. Like I just I, I can't stop talking about how phenomenal this cast is. And Lucas Hedges is in this one who has come up before. I think that that's really what sells the emotion in this because it all feels so raw coming from them because they're so good at what they're doing that you can't help but like take that immediately like straight to your heart yeah alexa came up 
the first time I think in mid 90s for A24 in terms mm. of like just A24 films. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a really weird role in that. <laughs> and then there was this one and then Euphoria. Um, I'm like, yeah, very interested in seeing more of Alexa in this in this sort of space. And then actually, no, and then mainstream as well, which we don't acknowledge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed her in this in this as well. The structure, as you've mentioned, of this two-parter without giving anything away, it kind of almost feels like this two-parter is like, here's a Band-Aid, I'm going to rip it off (laughs) midway, and then it's all exposed from there on. And yeah, I I don't, I'm trying to remember when was like the last time I hurt that much that I like, Oh my God. I, I, (laughs) I hurt that much from watching a film. And I'm not, I don't know, like Waves is up there, probably will always be up there for me. Oh, totally agreed. Um, And that's kind of why I don't want to watch it again, because the first time I watched it, like I was obviously pretty emotionally raw going into it just because Mm -hmm. of like everything that I described. Yeah. Um, But when that split happens and there's the moment that it changes from the the storyline of the first half to the storyline of the second half. Yeah. I there were it was like me and maybe four or five other people in this theater and I immediately just like broke down into tears at that moment yeah and from then on I probably cried like four or five more times through the second half of the movie just because like that one moment hits you so hard and you're almost like like you said you're kind of left raw and open after that and then everything else is just like I'm going to come back for you. I went to the screening um, with a bunch of my like coworkers at the time. So, th- and there was quite a bit of people at the screening, obviously. Um, I mean, everyone who I've spoken to that has seen this film have said the middle part is where you break down. And mm-hmm. from there, you don't stop breaking down. Like, I yeah. don't remember taking a break to just like breathe. Like, I, it was constant <laughs> crying. And it was exhausting, but it was just, it, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I like my tears were dripping down my chin and I was yeah. like, you know, when you're wiping <laughs> your chin, you know, instead of like wiping your face, yeah. cause it's just all over. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, um, so obviously like emotionally that two part narrative worked really well because that middle part hits you and then you are so raw and open for the second half that it just like burrows its way in and doesn't let you go. Do you think that it worked narratively too? I'm curious because I know that it it can be a little bit jarring to, I, I'm trying not to give too much away, yeah. to like remove so much of what is happening in the first half from the conclusion. Right. Like there is a real switch of perspective. Definitely. Um, and I'm just curious if that worked for you or if you felt like, right. you know, we were going too far away from where the story started. Yeah, I think the way I experienced it was the first half gave the context that we needed in order to really Mm -hmm. feel and experience the second half of the film. So Mm -hmm. the switch somehow didn't really, it didn't feel as jarring as it might be if you were just kind of reading what was happening or whatever. Um, First half, I see it as context that you need in order to really appreciate and feel all the pain that comes out in the second half of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, th- yeah. I think it worked. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Sometimes I feel like I should watch it again. 
I know. <laughs> you know, like sometimes yeah. you just like a couple couple months later too, I was like, you know what? Maybe I can do this again. Like maybe it'll feel like the first time again. But then I'm like, you know what? I don't know. But I also have these moments as we're talking about it and then I talk about it with other people. I'm like, maybe I should rewatch it. I know there's a part of me that really wants to revisit it. Yeah. I I guess it's like coming to terms with the fact that you know that it's not going to feel the same way the second time. I mean, there are movies that I rewatch that still give me an emotional response. Like I still feel a lot every time I watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. Yeah, I felt it, you know, the second time I watched Cold War, the uh, 2018 Polish film from, I think it's Pavel Pawlikowski. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. That like was a really kind of emotional watch for me the first time around and wasn't the same the second time, but I still felt a lot. I still mm. was able to tap into some of those experiences in a different way. So... I don't know. I might be talking myself into watching it again. But yeah, there is something still so special about having that like initial really intense experience with a movie. Yeah. I'm also curious about this one in the context of like A24's canon sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I mean, we were talking earlier about how white a lot of these movies are. Yeah. And with this one, like the director is white, but the majority of the cast isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about a black family. And that kind of fits in. I mean, in 2019, they also had The Last Black Man in San Francisco, yeah. In Fabric, which is led by a black woman, The Farewell as well, which led by Aquafina, set mostly in China. And so it seems like there is an effort, maybe, to diversify the storytellers or the people in front of the camera, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then I scroll up a little bit further and I look at, you know, 2020 and it gets really white again. And I'm just curious, <laughs> you know, if that's something that they even think about, because it's something mm-hmm. that I definitely see when I look at this slate of movies. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I'm curious. I, I, I... Oh, to be a fly on yeah. the wall in those conversations. Yeah, truly. I guess like on that note, I would not let us talk about A24 and not talk about one of my favorite A24 movies of the last few years, starring one of my favorites, Steven Yeun. Minari came out during the pandemic. And so I don't know a lot of people who got to see it on a big screen. We watched it over Zoom together, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And this was another one that just like got me right in the heart. It's such a sweet, wholesome painful family story yeah i mean family stories families and you get to see different generations in the family and the way Mm -hmm. the relationship works between them and you just are thrown into that first of all like immediately it's gonna hit you hard in so many different ways and yeah this is definitely one of them I'm also like so happy to see Steven Yeun get this kind of like he he's obviously been doing stuff like he he got a lot of attention from like burning um and then is it, I haven't seen o- Okja mm-hmm. I yep. haven't seen it because I'm scared about like the story of it I, I don't think I don't know if I can get through it <laughs> it looks adorable but it also anyways just look it up <laughs> But I haven't I haven't seen it. But anyways, obviously, like commercially, everyone knows him from like the guy from The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And he's been working on so many incredible projects. But I feel like with with Burning getting a lot of like 
critical attention and then with Minari following that I mean uh Burning was 2018 and this was 2020 Mm -hmm. so there's a bit of time frame uh in between and then of course he's in Nope um in most in the most recent um films that he's been involved but like he's just so great he's so I mean we're both obviously such a huge fan of his but to Mm -hmm. see him kind of play this like father role which like I've never seen him in this kind of role before yeah. Um, and then this like immigrant experience role too that we get to see is just Yeah, it feels like such a vulnerable role. Like I think his character Jacob is is so burdened with being the head of the family, being the one who is responsible, you know, as the breadwinner and the caretaker, while also carrying the weight of having moved his entire family to the states. You know, that's such a common story for people mm-hmm. where you know, you you move as as a family to a new place and dad has to take on this role of like going out and, and making enough in the world that they get what they came here for, which is usually like a better life for their kids. And there's so much heaviness and weight in that that I feel like maybe especially for immigrant fathers isn't always really explored like, mm-hmm. or like acknowledged. Right. I often hear, you know, from friends or we see in media that like immigrant fathers tend to be a little bit more reserved. They they don't really like open up and share. And I think that that comes from bearing this kind of weight and the way that Steven Yeun carries it in this film. Not to like diss The Walking Dead. I'm not like trying to say that the acting in that is not good or that it's like not good storytelling. But like it just this just feels so much more powerful and so much heavier even as it's like such a quiet role when you compare it to something like the walking dead which is like a little bit more like brash and showy and and frankly like it's just longer because it's tv you get so much more time but i feel like you get so much out of him and out of his character in this really short quiet piece yeah lee isaac chung is from like this was his story, right? I don't. I don't think it's like. I don't think it's biographical. But he. He's. He grew up in Arkansas. Yeah, I think it's like inspired by his life. Yeah, I mean, just just the fact that the story also is like set in Arkansas, where like you can where the differences are so hyper clear and obvious, <laughs> not just mm-hmm. from like a like a obviously from an Asian family to like everyone being white sense but also there's a lot of like religious things that come into play in the story too and I was so drawn to the way they found this sense of belonging and them finding what like a home well them building their own home but like finding Mm -hmm. their own home in this place that clearly does not look or feel or sound like like home or did not you know really accept them to be for them to call this home um Mm -hmm. like with minari which is like that that plant that we we see and obviously like the grandma being a huge part of this i'm like scattered and all over but like taking something that like is a piece of where you used to belong or was home to you or where your origin was and then having that grow in this new soil in this new land, like visually see that, and then to also metaphor metaphorically see that in these people's lives and the relationships that they have with the community, but then within their family and all these dis- different like discoveries that they have, it's just like so many layers going on, and it's really human. 
it's it's like mm-hmm. very real experiences of so many different types of people not just for immigrant families i mean immigrant families in particular but just it's just a story about people you know and a24 i will give to them that they do such a good job at shedding light to that and i wish they did a little bit more you know and they are now with these stories different stories that are not just like white experiences but they do they do such a really good job at staying authentic to these stories while also stylizing it not in a aesthetic or anything way but just stylizing it so that it like accentuate the the feeling and the experience from like an audience Mm. perspective stylistically a24 does a good job at like pulling films that is really good at i'm gonna stop I don't know how I'm going to edit that. I'm just, I don't know what I'm saying. No, there's so much there's so much good in there. Please keep uh. that in. Okay. Um, no, I totally agree. I feel like there's something really special about the visuals of a lot of these films that we're talking about that you feel like you are watching from within the world. You're yeah. not watching things happen on a screen. You are like planted in this place with these people yeah. watching this happen around you almost which is like a real ode to the directors and the cinematographers of these projects that they mm-hmm. can just make this feel and i mean everyone on the creative team behind these things that you feel so present and so immersed in the worlds of these films yeah that they're not like put on for you it's like this is where these people exist yeah like obviously we don't we don't see the world in, you know, the the color hues that we, I mean, particularly with like something like Florida Project, like there's clearly, you know, colors that you mm-hmm. see with the experiences. And that's the case with Waves. That's the case with Minari, too. There's a there's a hue to all of these like slice of life A24 films because there's a style, a very distinct style to it. And it's not that mm-hmm. we, it's not a documentary. So like, it's its not that we see these experiences in this way in real life. But to me, per, at least for me, like it feels like we do experience life in that way. Maybe we don't visually see like the colors in front mm-hmm. of us, but I feel like the colors capture the feelings that we have. And so, yeah, like yes. you said, it does tip to the cinematography and the director um, and not only just taking the script and, and the actors and, you know, all of that is great on its own, but like pushing it more so that it visually captures feeling. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm struggling so hard to <laughs> explain that. But yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. And it's funny because it actually like bringing it back to Florida Project, there's a specific shot in that movie of a store that's like one of those big gaudy like tourist stores. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very like America forward and it's like bright like red white and blue and it's so in your face and it fits real it fits right in with that world of like the bright castle of the motel and everything but I've been to Orlando and I saw that store Mm -hmm. in the movie and I immediately was there again because I have driven right by that exact store and they just they captured it in a way that I felt like I was there again because mm-hmm. it felt so it feels like it dominates the screen in the same way yeah. as when you're going by giant gaudy bald eagle in front of this huge store yeah. dominates your eyeline. Yeah. Right. Like they, yeah. they capture that that feeling and that like enormity of this visual eyesore. Yeah. And I feel like that's used 
in in both ways in that like dominating all-encompassing visual in a in something like the florida project but it's also used to great subtlety in something like minari yeah in minari it's almost like you can like smell the room from the lighting Mm. yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it was a beautiful film i obviously i cried of course just crying for every movie i mean listen props to a24 they know how to make us cry yeah okay so moving you know forward chronological order acknowledging that we're like skipping a couple that we both have really loved we already talked about etc um Mm -hmm. but really honing in on the on the films that really speak a24 to us we're we're jumping into the green knight i did want to mention we do skip zola um between minari and green knight that was a mm-hmm. moment. I just wanted to shout out that that was a big moment. Hold on. Can I jump um, in really quickly? Um, just on Zola, I do want to say that, like, how incredibly A24 for them to pick up this movie based on the fact that the script was inspired by a tweet. Yeah. Like, to to bankroll an entire movie based on, like, a tweet thread feels, feels very A24. Um, and I think the movie that resulted also really fits in with that vibe so yes um big shout out to zola but yeah we really wanted to spend some time on the green knight so that's why we didn't didn't totally uh dive in as much as we could have on zola yeah green knight is directed by david larry who also did a ghost story Mm -hmm. you mentioned that that was you love that film what'd you think about this really enjoyed that film i don't know that i would go quite as far to say i loved it um because i i didn't like emotionally connect to it um in the way that i wanted to but i really appreciated like what he did with that movie and what he did with grief um and i thought rooney mara was phenomenal in it um but yeah going into the green knight like this is obviously such a different kind of movie i think it plays with what david lowry likes to do with like allegory and storytelling and you know one thing disguised as another thing disguised as another thing yeah um which is really interesting and i think works really well with the like the legend the story of sir gowan and i know a lot of people didn't vibe with this Mm -hmm. because you know for various reasons I, i think that it is kind of long it is very convoluted in its language. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some real weird stuff that happens. Yeah. But like, w- welcome to like old folklore, old English storytelling. Like there's weird stuff that happens. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting take on that kind of story. So I had a great time. Yeah, I had a really good time too. Like it, you know, it kind of feels like a, a really long board game. And also, yeah. like, the cast, but mainly Dev Patel. Oof. I think He's so great. Phenomenal. Um, and his, like, posters for this movie. Also, speaking of, like, marketing and something that's super A24, this film with the board game giveaways and, like, everything that di- they did around it was very, very good. I gotta say, I, I'm so curious about the marketing with this one because I feel like if you were in on the quote-unquote joke, like if you mm. knew A24 and you were aware of what they do and how they promote and like you were kind of in the circle, incredible. Yeah. Board games, the like swords and the like, like everything was so, so good. But I feel like there's a section of people who 
have no idea about any of this. Like, mm-hmm. just do not pay attention to like film marketing and and the whole business of it. And just will like see a trailer in front of another movie and then be like, cool, maybe I'll go see that. Who had very different expectations mm. of what this movie was going to be than what yeah. it actually was. Because I feel like they did kind of try to market it to that crowd as like a medieval yeah, quest movie. Right, right. Which is not what it is. I mean, right. it, like it is, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that, actually. Yeah. And like the trailer, the way they... they- they construct the the trailer as well and made it seem like it's this almost like a superhero action movie like action yeah yeah yeah, yeah. when no, it's like true. it's so much slower and it like revels in its storytelling and it's like cleverness almost mm-hmm. um and the like n- lack of cleverness sometimes of its mm-hmm. protagonist like it's it's very much this like slow moving journey mm-hmm. which is not what you got from the trailer yeah um but i feel like if you had familiarity with the original legend or you had familiarity with like a24 and kind of what they were doing yeah then you might have seen that coming and it might have yeah. been fine but yeah i think that's part of the reason why a lot of people didn't vibe with it is they yeah. were just like expecting something else yeah no, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah. Which is not to say that I didn't love everything they did because I thought it was so cool. Yeah. Their posters of everyone like making it seem like they're mm-hmm. like characters that you can choose in board games was pretty cool. Yeah, I loved the aesthetic of the marketing campaign for this that like tied in so well with the aesthetic that David shot for the movie. Yeah, and looking going back to the cast members like Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, like two a24 alumni welcome mm-hmm. back <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I i loved i loved that casting as well me too and i loved sarita chowdhury as yes. his mother who yeah. i feel like we have not seen enough of especially after getting to see mississippi masala on the big screen I know. i'm like more of her always please yeah truly yeah that was really cool i was going to say like where does this sort of fit into in the buckets that we've been talking about of slice of life and horror that we've been seeing a lot in terms of a24 films up until this point um Mm -hmm. they they definitely have like very odd strange genres that don't fit into those two like those are very like generic buckets that we've created as we speak about the films we we talked about today this is obviously very fantasy um it's it's a little bit i don't know it makes it makes sense but it's not as frequent of a genre that we see maybe in A24. Is that right? I don't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Like maybe I've just been picking non-fantasy things. No, I, I feel like I would agree because I think that they do dabble in like the speculative space, mm-hmm. but often in the form of a horror movie. Yeah. So often that kind of like fantasy, sci-fi, like genre fiction will come to us through horror with them as opposed to like a more standalone genre story of like on its own yeah um i can't think of i'm sure there are other ones that you could consider like a little bit more genre than straight up horror Mm -hmm. um but this is the first one to me that really stands out as something different in that space that like isn't isn't really falling into that horror bucket. Yeah. And I think that they do, they have done more of that 
recently. Like I think After Yang is a very like it is slice of life, but it's also like a very sci-fi movie that is not horror. It's kind of like lo-fi sci-fi. So it's sort of straddling that like slice of life bucket and this like other new genre space. Yeah. Um, and then something like Everything Everywhere All at Once is like really leaning into the like multiverse of it all. So yeah, this kind of feels like I don't know that I would say like the start of a new space for them, but certainly the most like bold venture mm. into this kind of genre space for them. Yeah, I th- I hope they keep I hope they keep doing more of things like this. Me too. I mean, with a list like The Green Knight, After Yang, Everything Everywhere All at Once, like please absolutely give me more movies like that. Yeah, I agree. I I know that there's a deep, deep connection that they've established and now we see sort of like A24 and their big horror movies and like, you know, hitting it starting with like Hereditary and like Midsommar and they had they had that whole mm. era. And, you know, more recently there's like body, body, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and stuff. But like, I think when St. Maud came out and... <laughs> Any mm. major horror fans, please like shut me down for sure because I've never seen it, so I shouldn't be critiquing it. But as soon as I saw that and that that was coming from A24, I was like moving on from horror and A24 entirely, to be honest. I was like, okay, mm. you guys, like to me, it felt like you guys know that this is working for people and it felt like it was getting like shoved <laughs> to me and there was nothing really interesting, interesting. about St. Maud that I wanted to kind of like give it a try. Also, it's like so out of my comfort zone. Um, <laughs> yeah, just I, I think like with with X and with like Pearl, it's kind of come back with a little bit more A24-ness, I guess, that mm-hmm. is a bit more interesting. But I remember, yeah, around like St. Maude, I was like, okay, guys, like y'all need to switch it around. So, so all that to say, like, expanding more and building more in this fantasy side I think would be so cool to see from A24. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see a little bit more of this kind of experimentation. And I think we're seeing experimentation from them as well with something like Marcel the Shell with Yeah. Marcel the Shell with shoes on, right? Like yeah. that's also a very different kind of movie. Totally. That we haven't really seen before from them. Yeah. Um and I'm I'm excited for that kind of creativity to continue and and to see some more stuff that is like maybe a little bit more offbeat Mm -hmm. and maybe wouldn't get like traditional funding from a a big like Universal or Fox or something. Yeah. All right. So as we're wrapping this up and reflecting back on A24's full slate, I know we only covered just a portion of it today. Um, We picked out some that we have never talked about. And that was, it was super fun. Um, But something that I guess, like, as we're reflecting, I'm also like, we were, I I mean, I was aware of this, but even more so like aware of it now that we've talked through these movies, is that peak A24 um, Mm. feels pretty white male-led, white male-centric films. Mm -hmm. I mean, just kind of looking through like Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, 2017, 2018, There was a lot of that. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I mean, even if you were like aware of the film world or like part of this sort of space, there really was that impression that like A24 was for the like enlightened film bro. Yeah. Right. It was it was taking that kind of like film has always been dominated voice wise and money wise 
by white men. And A24 kind of replicated that structure without really questioning it very much, but made it like the cool hip thing. But it's it's still speaking to and appealing to that exact same audience of like the the male critic who is like young and white and hip and into all of this, like pushing the boundaries of film. And it's like, well, what boundaries are you really pushing here? Like you're still it's still the same voices in the same rooms. And I think that we have seen some movement away from that. I don't know how much A24 was like the driving force behind it, um, because, you know, 2017, 2018 is still pretty late to be really kind of encapsulating yourself within that stereotype. And like, yeah, it seems like fairly comfortably within it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that we're definitely seeing changes and I think that we've gotten some really incredible films out of that change. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it, it does kind of tip back to like when I was talking about Lady Bird in particular today, like I didn't realize until later on that it was very much like me trying to fit myself into this like mold that I'm presented as like super cool. And I was like, Mm. I, but, but it's not invalid either. Like I want to, You know, like I want to acknowledge that what the draw that I was feeling and the the pieces that I did it, that did resonate with me, um, regardless, were also very true to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why I like that. <laughs> it's so weird, but the Avril metaphor makes sense to me so much <laughs> because it's just I think a twenty four captured and uh, targeted you know, very particular and later very wide audience um, of this, like, I don't know, cool and hip era. And like, Mm -hmm. and, and I was super drawn to that. And, um, and so it's, it's not to like disregard that, that, oh, like, it wasn't actually me, like actually connecting with these films. I truly did. But it's just interesting as you grow up, and the things that you resonated with, even like five, six years ago, you just kind of move on from and f- f- you you go different you go to different places in, in this kind of journey mm-hmm. with a24 so like I feel like I have a complex relationship with with a24 like talking <laughs> talking about a film company like it's weird but I had a moment when I was younger really really connected with these guys and the stuff that they put out still do absolutely with the with the newer things that that they've been putting out and as you said they've been doing some really really interesting and cool stuff lately um and i'm excited to see more from them but it just feels like a very different relationship it almost feels like it almost feels like a like a toxic relationship that you were in and you were like completely tunnel visioned oh no (laughs) I mean, maybe that's not fair because there was like a lot of good times as well. But it just seems like it just seems like a relationship that I've moved on from. So I was actually going to ask you, what is your relationship like with A24 as we've looked back with like over the years? Fast forward to now. um, How do you how do you feel about them now? I mean, I feel like I wasn't as involved in the film community as you were because you like literally work in film, Um, whereas I was just kind of coming to it as, oh, yeah, this is a thing that I've always liked, but I've never really invested a lot of like time and attention into. What if I did that? Like, there are some really cool things going on here. I want to pay more attention and become more involved. And I think from that perspective, you know, it was so easy to get swept up in hype um, mm-hmm. in in those sort of earlier days of, oh, yeah, this thing is so cool. And they're putting out all the like 
the coolest movies and they have this like amazing merch like i'm not gonna lie i saw some of the um like the early like fleece pullovers and the hats and stuff and i was like if it, was, if it wasn't going to cost me zillion canadian dollars to buy and have them shipped here count me in like yeah. i would absolutely love one of those things um because it did feel like you were a part of like the cool club like yeah. you had you had this knowledge of like it feels like a cult <laughs> it kind of feels like a cult i mean as i'm as i see like florence Pugh's huge face poster from midsommar in my bedroom um <laughs> it feels like like there's there was a huge following and myself included absolutely looking through this merch that they have and you're like you need to get this because this is like part of being the cool club Mm-hmm. And, totally. Yeah, it's just weird because I don't want to like disregard that there's an authentic connection to that, but there's also things that I'm completely just like skimming over and like just like just take just take all my money as well, <laughs> which is not. That's yeah. the thing that I think I struggle with is like I do have a genuine connection to a lot of these movies. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of that is due to the director. And mm. the cast and the crew who worked on that movie and actually made the movie. Yeah. But, I mean, we have both worked in marketing. You you know, you can't deny that there's an element of, like, how is this movie presented to you? Yeah. That impacts the connection. And that part comes from A24. Yeah. And it comes from this reputation that they've built for themselves as a curator of a certain kind of taste. Yeah. And I think, like... I don't know that I want to disregard the fact that, like, I don't want to say that, you know, because you tend to enjoy the kinds of movies that A24 puts out, that it's only because of them. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I think I think that's dismissive of people's tastes because 100%. I do like I do think that despite the A24-ness of it all and despite the work that they put in to market these films and mm -hmm. to get these films out there like they are not the storytellers they are mm -hmm. a brand storyteller but they are not the ones making these movies they're not the voice of these movies yeah the people behind the movie are um in a, in a much more grounded like the people on the ground the director the actors the crew and so i think it's striking that balance between like how much can you say that they're really involved because they are these like curators of taste and they are mm -hmm. curating this like menu of films for you yeah versus like what is genuine personal preference and what is like yeah. i actually just really love the actors they they tend to work with or yeah. i actually really love the visions of directors like sean baker or like david lowry um i don't know you know yeah. that feels like something that it's, it's sort of too easy to dismiss it as just like, oh, that's A24 being A24 because mm. there's so much personal taste involved. 100%. Yeah. 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 It's super challenging to balance that because like they've all they've absolutely made the marketing. I mean, marketing is part of the storytelling to put out the story. And so mm. because A24 is so strong in that area, they've made themselves part of the story that actually is being told, mm -hmm. which is the film. And so yeah. 
I guess, I guess there's like flip there's there's two sides of it like when it really works like it's it's incredible and they do, they do such a good job at storytelling in terms of bringing the product to the audience um mm-hmm. but when you have so much power in that too which A24 now does and had and um I don't know I feel like they're kind of figuring out their brand again a little bit <laughs> I'm not sure they've I don't know but when you have so much like say on the internet in that way to bring different stories to the table, um, it's hard not to evaluate what's brought to you, like just just from the packaging of it and the way mm. they've packaged things, the way they've chosen what's being packaged inside. <laughs> I'm using a lot of metaphors here, so that's very confusing. Um, but yeah, it's it's so interesting. All that to say, I am I'm like I'm I'm always going to I think I will always in some in some capacity be like an A24 fan. Um I was like a diehard A24 person through like 2017-2018 in particular. Um mm-hmm. but right now like I feel like I reminisce on those days. It was like, oh, that was that was a cute moment that I had. But um I'm I'm so curious about the stuff they're going to bring up. Um do you know stuff that they're like working on for future? I mean a little bit. I um I saw some cast photos the other day or like photos from set of Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White and Harris Dickinson working on The Iron Claw. Right. Yeah, I think I saw that too. Um which I am very intrigued about like just because of that cast. Yeah. Um, they have a couple of Julianne Moore movies coming out, which uh, I love me a willowy redhead. Julianne Moore. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. She hasn't had um, an A24 movie in a while. I don't, I feel. I think you're right. And now she's got two coming next year, I think, which oh, is wow. exciting. Okay. So she's coming back. Um, she's coming back. Obviously, After Sun just came out. Very, very excited about that one. Yeah. Um. But I did want to mention uh, two projects that they've acquired, but that I don't think they've like made a ton of progress on yet. Mm. One of them was pretty recent. Um, they just acquired the rights to Douglas Stewart's novel, Shuggy Bane, yeah. um, which they're turning into a TV show. So mm. I'm very curious to hear more about that because Douglas yeah. Stewart is a gem of a human. Um, and they also had... Um, I think they announced it on their podcast um, where Ocean Vuong and Brian Washington were talking to each other about their books that they're adapting On Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous into a movie, (laughs) which apparently the script is done. So I am very excited for that one. I'm also talk about an emotional movie. (sighs) I'm already not okay. I know. (laughs) feel like that one is going to be a rough one and maybe one of those movies where you just sit in the theater and ball silently to yourself yeah I feel like when we find out about projects that A24 is working on it's kind of similar to when Marvel fans find out that there's a like Marvel comic book that Marvel's working on in production for like Mm. like you know when Disney does their whole announcement of their slates on films that they're working on that's what it feels like to us I feel it's just like right no like you know I feel like that's the closest kind of like 
<laughs> excitement. I feel that way about like when when Neon too, you know, like you know, mm-hmm. um, very very similar to when Marvel or like Disney fans when they find out the whole slate that they they got coming up in the in the next year, the excitement around it and just that like yeah, with all the potential and like the the excitement of oh this thing that I love is going to get like the star treatment almost yeah. it's like when when yeah. a tv show is announced and you hear that it's going to be like hbo or bbc and you're yeah. like okay you know this is going to be good as opposed yeah. to like cable tv or something like yeah it's that kind of which i mean they i don't think they would have that kind of prestige in our minds if they hadn't delivered on it in the past like oh. if they hadn't given us some like genuinely great products so absolutely yeah you know credit to them for that they like have maintained this sense of huge excitement in us when we're like oh my god that's being adapted by a24 yeah i'm always gonna i'm always gonna have that so please do more cool interesting things a24 as you've done already we we can't wait we're ready for all of it we will come out and see your movies we promise well i feel like we could like literally never stop talking about a24 there's so much all wrapped up in it in like the movies and the feelings and the the marketing of it all Mm -hmm. um but we should probably stop because we have been doing this a long time already (laughs) um so that's enough from us uh you know where you can find us you can send us an email at popcorn martini soup at gmail.com and you can find us on instagram at popcorn martini soup and let us know i mean i'm curious about if you were to get A24 to distribute something, it could be a movie that's been already made or maybe a book that's never been adapted. What would you like A24 to produce or distribute? I'm going to think about that too because I haven't Ooh. spent time thinking about it and I'm curious what your answer is too. So, I mean, yeah, please let us know. Yeah, I like that question a lot. If you had the power to A24 if I story. Yes. Yes. Mm, I will definitely be thinking about that. Yeah. Please let us know. Great. So next time we have something so special. I'm so, so, so excited. We're actually going to have a guest on the podcast. Um, I'm just going to, do we leave it at that? Do we tease a little bit? I'm not sure. Don't give them, don't give them much. Yeah. Okay. Keep it big. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to leave it at that. (laughs) It's going to be super chaotic. Hope you all tune in, but until then, I think that that is everything. I think so. Okay, bye. Bye.